they come from professional occupations. They probably had a nice home and then suddenly they were uprooted and they have to leave in a hurry and they have nothing. So now they find themselves in the receiving end of charity. And that becomes a pride issue, which I you know, try to read very carefully to make sure that they feel good about getting this. Let's peek inside the mind of a boomer. This is Boomer Randomness, a podcast dedicated to the baby boom generation with random observations about boomer life from boomers, including topics like music, movies, memories, marriage and divorce, retirement, bucket lists, kids and grandkids, travel, and a whole lot more. Here is your boomer host, Bernie Lucas. One of the topics I cover in this podcast is retirement and what people do in their retirement. Recently, a friend introduced me to a retiree with a unique activity that is also a good cause. Manuel Vera, great to meet you. How are you doing? Fine, fine. How are you doing? Good, good. So you're retired. I retired about seven years ago, yes. Yeah. And you have a very interesting retirement project, Manuel. Tell us about it. Well, um, I'm reluctant to call it a project, really, because a project requires some planning, uh, some discipline and execution and so on. This uh, project kind of grew up uh, as like a weed. You know, it just kind of morphed <laughs> and it took shape uh, as time went on. I started out by, well, I've, I've been working on bikes for quite some time, maybe 20, 30 years, basically just fixing my own bikes and those of friends and, and family. But when the pandemic began, I started offering free bike tune-ups to my neighbors. There's a neighborhood here in this community of about 300 households. So I put out a notice on the listserv offering free tune-ups. The only thing that people would pay me for would be for the cost of, of replacement parts, if any were needed. For the most part, uh, you know, I can do a tune-up without having to, to buy parts. So that became uh, kind of a hit. Um, I got uh, quite a few responses from my neighbors and um, to the point where I'm still doing them after you know three years or so. And then following the um, turmoil uh, that began in Afghanistan probably in around 2020, we started getting uh, quite a few um, Afghan immigrants, um, refugees coming into the area. In the meantime, I had already started um, soliciting used bikes from people from France and neighbors as well because I was thinking, you know, there's got to be a ton of bikes out there in people's basements and people's garages and sheds that never get used because uh, either people move on to other things, they buy other bikes, the kids outgrow their old bikes and they get new ones, and um, people don't really know what to do with them. But for a bicycle, you know, it's kind of difficult to sell a bicycle and get a fair price for it. Yeah, yeah. So um, people just don't... Um, and don't, don't like selling bikes or advertising for sale. So um, I offered to get their bikes, fix them up, and then pass them on to the needy, to people who, uh, who um, couldn't afford to buy bikes. So I started out by holding up a sign in the street. It was, um, I found kind of a sweet spot. It was in the neighborhood of Silver Spring, a neighborhood park, uh, across the street from a um, food pantry, a couple of um, nearby apartment buildings were uh, uh, kind of low-income apartment buildings. So I stood there with my sign, and people would pull over with their cars or just stop if they were pedestrians and ask, 
Otis is all about because it's kind of a strange thing if you see somebody in the street offering free bikes. And um, But I told them this is for real. You don't need to pay anything. Uh, there's no paperwork, no obligation. I don't want anything in return. You just take the spike if you like it. It's yours. So that uh, became quite successful also. Then we started getting the, infl the influx of um, Afghan refugees, refugees. So rather than randomly <clears throat> giving bikes out in the street, I focused my efforts on the refugee population. So I worked through several, uh, I, I still do, with uh, several uh, uh, you know, charitable organizations such as the International Rescue Committee. There's another organization called Homes Not Borders, another one called Kind Works. They all operate in Montgomery County in the area. So I, I got in touch uh, with them and they um, offered to put me in touch with refugees who needed bikes. And that's been quite successful. So I've been uh, currently working on a waiting list now for uh, of these bike requests. Some people will have a family of four and they all want bikes. Other times it's just um, a single head of the family who wants a bike to get to work because they don't have a driver's license yet. They don't own a car. So it becomes quite important for them to um, have that kind of transportation, even if it's a bicycle. And, um, you know, they also use it for recreation, for trips to the store and so on. But uh, for the most part, it's been uh, quite, a, quite a little project. I'm up to about 498 bikes, and that was my wow. last count that I've given away for free. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and this is primarily um, Afghan uh, refugees and immigrants? Yes, that was my original focus. But through these organizations, I've helped people from Sudan. Central America, several countries in Central Africa, for example. Um, I, uh, I I found a bicycle for a woman from Iran, for example, recently. So they've all been uh, beneficiaries of this of this little project. But uh, yeah, in, in essence, really, anybody who wants a bike can get a bike from me. It's uh, I don't have any. I don't vet them for need or anything like that. If somebody just uh, comes up to me and says, uh, "What are these?" Uh, actually, this happened. Uh, there was a. I had a few bikes out in, at the curb, in, in front of my house for collection for recycling because these are bikes that were just too old, too far gone, where I couldn't successfully repair them. So I gave them up as scrap metal. Hopefully, they would come back as refrigerators or toasters. <laughs> who knows? Right. But the same fellow who was picking up the scrap metal inquired he asked he was curious about what, what why why are all these six bikes I incur? what are you doing so i showed him uh, into my backyard and showed him that showed him the uh, number of bikes that i had waiting for to get service and i explained what i was doing so um he had that look in his face where he was reluctant to ask for a bike i kind of was able to read his expression i said would you like a bike and he says yes absolutely so he got a free bike from me so in essence, anybody who wants one can get one. Yeah, I would imagine sometimes people's pride would make it maybe difficult for them to ask, even if it's something that they need. Is that what you've seen? Yes, I have. In particular with Afghan refugees, they come, they're mostly bilingual. At least the head of the family is bilingual. They come from professional occupations back in Afghanistan. They, they work for the U.S. government or the armed services as interpreters or other types of uh, other types of work, they will also ask me, do you have a laptop for my son or daughter who's going to school? Do you have um, 
some furniture, different types of furniture. So you know, they come here with nothing. So I've I've gone on some bike deliveries where I've taken with me some a number of items that are not bike related, just to help them out. As long as I can, I will do so. My wife has been quite helpful. Also, she will prepare a couple of grocery bags full of groceries. And these people, um, for the most part, initially, they don't have a job. Right. So they, whatever help you they you can give them is, is quite welcome. So I will deliver to them a couple of bags of cooking oil and rice and sugar and anything, you know, regularly things that people would not normally use in the kitchen to feed their families. So that's been also helpful. And also there's a, I have a habit now of, if there's a little kid in the family who's not getting a bike, say a three or four year old child, I make sure that I bring with me a box of crayons and some a pad of um, drawing paper. Um, I've taken to delivering soccer balls to a young kid just so they have something to play with if it's not a bike. So it's uh, it's been kind of morphing in, in different directions. <laughs> but the, the main focus, of course, is the bikes. This is the Boomer Randomness Podcast. I'm talking with Manuel Vera, a retiree in the D.C. suburbs who repairs bicycles and gives them away free to people in need, especially refugees and immigrants from Afghanistan. Uh, all, all types of bikes? Yes. Um, I, from, they range from uh, bikes with training wheels for small kids, tricycles, scooters, and then uh, the different ranges and sizes of bikes. I've given away road bikes the racing type bikes, mountain bikes, hybrid bikes, you name it. As long as I have them and I can refurbish them, I'll find. I'll try to find somebody who uh, could use it. Yeah. I also want to be very selective about who gets what bikes because uh, a lot of these bikes get stored outside and sometimes I need to convince them you need to lock these bikes. If you're going to keep them outdoors, you need to lock them. Otherwise, they're going to be gone. So um, I try to be careful about educating them about a little bit about security, wearing a helmet, rules of the road, how to, how to stay alive while riding a bicycle yeah. in, in traffic, um, those kinds of things. So it's, um, it's a multi multifaceted little project. Yeah. The, uh, the county we live in has been doing a lot over the last few years to make it safe to ride bikes, but there's still a long way to go, isn't there? Yes, there is. Yes, it is. And, you know, people are, for the most part, respectful, but some of them get careless and they don't even see you in some some cases. So you need to be visible, have some lights on. There was one gentleman that I gave a bike to who uh, had just gotten a job as a security guard for a UPS facility in Prince George's County. His shift began at 3 p.m. and ended at 11 p.m. And he wanted a bike in a hurry because he uh, could only ride the bus at certain hours of the evening to get home uh, from work. If he missed the 11 p.m. bus run, he would have to wait an hour until midnight for the next bus to take him home. So that became quite important. So for him, I gave him a nice beefy mountain bike with fat tires. Uh -huh. I put electric lights in the front and back. I gave him a reflective vest, a helmet, a uh, bicycle pump, um, a number of things just to I completely accessorized this 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 young man who's got two kids at home and he's probably only about 35 years old. If you don't mind my asking, um, I, I understand you are also an immigrant. 
I mean, a long sure. time ago, but where, where was your home country? I was born in Peru, in Lima, the capital, and came to the United States in 1964 when I was 14 years old. Um, I come from a family of two parents and five children. I'm the oldest of the five. We initially um, moved, well, my father got a, a job in, uh, in New York City. The, uh, the, the big difference uh, between being an immigrant like I was and the immigrants that I work with these days is that we were not running from social or economic calamity. We, we, uh, this was actually a career move for my father. He was a college professor. So he got a job working at an institute for education in New York City. He got us a rental house in Long Island. You know, we led a really nice life. And then we eventually moved to the D.C. area because of another job change for my father. So uh, I certainly do consider myself an immigrant um, with, you know, but I've lived uh, what I would say a pretty privileged, comfortable yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of work did you do before you retired? I used to work when I uh, retired. I was working for uh, Pepco Holdings. Pepco Holdings is the um, parent company that owns three utilities. Um, Pepco, our local utility, plus Delmarpa Power and the Eastern Shore and also um, Atlantic City Electric in southern New Jersey. I was managing with a team of people energy efficiency programs for commercial customers. So we had incentives. We had to develop programs to um, disperse those incentives for commercial customers, large and small, to help them reduce their energy use and energy costs. Yeah. Um, I understand you also have some other interests in your retirement, if I, if I uh, read, read the articles correctly. Sure. I, I, I play in two bands, um, <laughs> and I like to get together with... Um, our friend Dory to, to play music with other friends in the neighborhood. Uh -huh. We have something called a neighborhood jam. So at about once a month or so, we uh, we get together and play music in a jam session kind of uh, environment. But I more formally tonight, I'm going to uh, band practice. We have a, a, a rock and roll band that plays classic, mostly classic rock and some folk, mostly modern rock and roll kind of music. Yeah. And I also have another band called the Market Band, and we play it. Uh, farmers markets for free <laughs> so that is more of an americana style yeah. um, music uh, mostly folk blues and some a, a little bit of rock yeah so that keeps me engaged keeps me busy and i'm um, still having a, a great time i'm taking piano lessons for the first time ever oh great i've been, I've been playing the keyboards by ear mostly but i uh, signed up at montgomery college for piano lessons that are in a classroom kind of setting yeah. you play electronic keyboards and I'm also taking a couple of art classes. So that's another thing that keeps me busy. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you, you play keyboards in your bands? I do in one of the bands. Yeah. One of the two bands is mostly chords, very basic yeah. stuff. But I'd like to uh, get to a point where I can play melodies, I can do some solos, and do a little licks in between verses, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I like to go uh, riding on my bike also, and I also like to go sea kayaking and I have a couple of kayaks that I like to take out once in a while. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, that, like I said at the beginning, you know, a lot of people have, have interest to, you know, to things to do in retirement. It's always a curiosity of mine to see what, what people do. And it sounds like you have a very, a very active life. D did anyone tell you how busy you'd be <laughs> before you retired? No, no. I found myself <laughs> In an awkward situation, I guess this must be typical. The first week or so after you leave the office, 
you know, your your whole life changes, of course. You know, you, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to get up every day at five o'clock in the morning. You can get up anytime you want to. But I'm walking outside and I said, all my colleagues and my friends, they're, they're still at the office. They're working right now and I'm not. <laughs> so there's this kind of a, a bit of a guilty feeling uh-huh. that goes away quite promptly. Yes. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> I got over that real quick. But um, uh, there was that feeling and uh, I... I I, I was looking for things to do, uh, to, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was doing some woodworking, which I still like to do on occasion. But uh, once the pandemic hit and we had the lockdowns, uh, and I also like to travel, so yeah. we couldn't go anyplace uh, when that pandemic was, was starting to peak around 2020, I guess it was. So my wife and I found ourselves at home pretty much like everybody else, uh, trying to find something to do. So this became a kind of a, a good diversion, to, uh, something for me to do that really completely engaged engaged me. I, I was able to buy new tools. I created a space in a in a shed outside. There used to be a storage shed. I cleaned it all out, and now it's uh, a little bike shop. You know, but eighteen by sixteen feet uh, foot bike shop. So that's um, that's my little yeah. my little space right now. If somebody wants to donate bikes, or if someone is in need. Is there a particular way they can reach out, or is it through the organizations you mentioned, or how does that work? They can uh, contact me by email. I think that's the best way. I don't have a website. I don't have a Facebook page or any other social media dedicated to this project. But um, you have my um, uh, email address. You're you're welcome to share that with uh, your listeners. Okay, I will do that. I'll, I'll post that with the podcast and with the other social media uh, avenues that I use. Sure. And also needed, in addition to bikes, um, are used helmets, um, bicycle pumps, bicycle locks are very important. Yeah. Uh, even if a helmet is old and worn, as long as it hasn't been crushed or been in a, in a crash, it's still usable. It's better than no helmet at all. These folks are, usually don't think about buying a helmet, but if you put one in front of them, it, uh, and, I, and I, I explain, it's just like a, wearing a seatbelt when you're in your car. Just put the helmet on anytime, anytime you're on the bike. So that's um, part of an educational process that I'd like to uh, share with them too. Right. I wish I had known you a few years ago when I gave away my bike. I had a really nice Cannondale bike that <laughs> I, I, I couldn't really ride anymore and it was in perfect shape. Oh, yeah. Well, those, <laughs> those are the ones I like because yeah. they, they require very, very little work. But I am willing to put, a, put more time in a bike. You know, I can take an hour or two to refurbish a bike and have it ready, or it could be an entire day yeah. to uh, to work on, on a single bike because of, you know, run into problems on occasion, do a lot of head scratching, cursing in front of the bicycle <laughs> where I can't figure out what the problem is. But eventually, I get a result. Manuel Vera, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, not really. I just um, enjoy speaking with you and sharing my story. And um, I would welcome uh, any ideas that people may have uh, for me to engage in. But this has uh, been quite a lot of fun. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you. Same here. You can reach out to Manuel by emailing him, manvera at yahoo.com. That's M-A-N-V-E-R-A at yahoo.com. I'm Bernie Lucas. As always, thank you for visiting my podcast. And please tell all your friends about it. Here's what's coming up on Boomer Randomness. I really am going to get to that overdue look at Woodstock maybe in the next episode. 
Learn more about Boomer Life and sign up for episode updates at boomerrandomness.com. And check us out on the Boomer Randomness Facebook. Okay, Boomer, thanks for listening. And tell everyone you know about Boomer Randomness.